How's the comedy career? Are you a famous stand-up yet? Not quite. I've been just working on my material. No, don't sit. This will be quick. Look, I like you, Arthur. You know, a lot of the guys, they think you're a freak. But I like you. I don't even know why I like you. But I got another complaint, and it's starting to piss me off. Kenny's music? The guy said you disappeared, never returned his sign? Because I got jumped, didn't you hear? For a sign? That's bullshit. It doesn't even make sense. Just, just give him the sign back. He's going out of business, for God's sakes, Arthur. Why would I keep the sign? How do I know? Why does anybody do anything? Come see the vampires of New York. Hello, and welcome to The Swift Shift. Thank you for listening to our fourth episode. It's our October episode. Please share our episode. As you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're everywhere. Please subscribe and rate us. If you do rate us, it'd be great if you rated us high. As you might know, I'm your co-host, Zachary Brown. I'm with Cafe Content, and I'm joined by the muddiest of white horses, Sean Swift. How's that saddle, Sean? Uh, it's uh, riding me raw, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm sure that trying to set up a production company is, not to pun it too much, but quite the production. It Oh, it is, uh, it is uh, as we talk about Joker, it is quite a circus, to say the least. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, so how are things going? Um, are you setting stuff up? I know you were working on a script. Kind of always kind of working on scripts and ideas. Just yeah. Figuring which, which ideas are the good ones and stuff like that. I just spoke with a friend of mine who's doing the logo. I think she's still kind of working on that. We're trying to get that just right. You know, getting some, some scripts finalized and, and uh, hopefully... Maybe getting some stuff going probably in the new year. I'm thinking with it being October, I can't see myself uh, doing anything major in the next two months. But in the new year, hopefully I can start uh, putting some stuff out. So a friend of mine actually sent me a little like romantic comedy script uh, that I really liked. And he was like, yeah, you want to do something with it, you can. So I might I might take that and just see what I can do with it. Ideas and stuff are, are happening. It's just a good old fashioned waiting game. You know. Part of the deal with being in the creative industry, in my opinion, is that being creative, it takes a lot of mind space. It takes a lot of uh, sitting down in front of a blank computer screen page back in the day and kind of getting into your head. And then the other side of that coin, the industry side of that coin is being out, collaborating with people, um, doing things that didn't come naturally to me when I was younger. Uh, right. But it's becoming more commonplace, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. It, it's, it's you, you know, you're exactly right. It's I, To me, the hardest part is writing. It's sitting down in front of the blank screen or the blank page and just, like, sitting there for hours at a time. But the flip side of that coin is uh, getting to, to work and collaborate with other creative types and stuff like that and the networking and, and stuff like that, which is... Uh, you know, usually a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's so funny that you say the hardest part is kind of sitting in front of the blank page, man. 
give me that. I'll take that every day over having to sell somebody on the idea or right. really just talk to any human being, which is weird because I started right. a podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but what what have you been consuming lately? Have you seen anything that caught your eye or read anything that caught your interest? Ah, oh, man. So this is like my favorite time of year. Uh, you know, of course, like, it's a Halloween. It's Halloween. Scary. Yeah. Mid like mid September, I just go into Halloween mode. Like I start buying pumpkin flavored everything and watching <laughs> horror movies and all this stuff. And I, I you know, I, I don't really stop that until December. You know, so, <laughs> uh, rewatched The Shining, the the Nicholson Shining and Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall. One new thing that I have been watching on the Shutter TV series is the new uh, Creep Show. Greg Nicotero uh, is produced. And it's really good. It's I've heard very... about this. Is it a is it a short story form TV show where each episode is kind of its own story? Yes. So okay. the way the way that they're doing it is, you know, just like the old creep show movies where they basically take a short story and just kind of put them together. First episode was two weeks ago, and then the second episode was this past week. It's very cheeky, like eighties horror. Like it's not overtly scary but it's just got like that warm like tales from the crypt tales from the dark side the creep show like george romero stephen king just that warm horror movie yeah uh, just a sean tomato soup for the soul kind of thing exactly. you know like this, is, this is your corner this is your warm blanket this is your knitted yeah. sweater this is kind of where you love to be exactly um, are you yeah. enjoying the tv show so far I love it. I, I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've also been sort of simultaneously watching American Horror Story, which is this season is about a, a slasher in the 80s, which I thought that I would really enjoy. And I am three episodes into that and realizing that I'm not enjoying it quite as much as I hoped. Like, I really liked the first episode and then the last two episodes I, I didn't enjoy so much. Whereas with the Creep Show series, I have enjoyed every single thing that they have put out so far. Uh, this past week, they actually had uh, an episode called Bad Wolf Down, and it was about werewolves in Nazi Germany. And I was just like, oh why, my didn't, gosh. why didn't I get the phone call to make yeah. that? <laughs> you know, like, where, where was I? Yeah, as you know, that that isn't my jive. That isn't what I like to watch. Um, sure. So while everybody's diving headfirst into Halloween... I'm like finishing Succession, which I thought was really good. Okay. I'm watching this uh, Vox TV show called Explained, where they go, where they take a issue, call it cults, and they'll kind of deep dive into cults and get not only give you an idea of the history of cults, but why people join cults. Nice. Um, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. And I did a double feature this Saturday which I've, it's been a very long time since I went to the theater and got out of a movie and thought to myself, hey, let's go ahead and see a second movie. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do one more. You know, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, lo so the I love doing that. Yeah. I, I don't get to do it often myself, but yeah, I love going and just like, you see one and you're just like, you know what? Like, I, I want to see something else too. Like you're just, you're in that mode to be fed what filmmakers are offering so that's that's a great way to spend a saturday if you can 
if you can, if you have an extra six hours, you know, I don't golf, <laughs> yeah. golf or anything like that. So right. <laughs> um, it, it's very rare that I have that much time to see movies, but it was a great, it was like a cloudy day. The uh, temperature had dropped about, about 10 degrees, which in North Carolina means it was like 80 or 75. Yeah, you know? yeah right. Yeah. It's like Austin, like it's 95. So we're all pulling out our hoodies and you know, <laughs> oh, a, there's a chill in the air. <laughs> so the first movie that I saw on this double feature was Ad Astra. You've heard of this, right? The Brad Pitt, I, yeah, I've, James I've heard, Gray directed movie. Yeah, I've heard great things. It's one that I, it's on my radar. I just have not been able to go and see it yet but I, I really want to i've heard a lot of great things yeah and you put space in, you make a space movie zach brown's probably going to go see it sure, um, yeah. especially in the theater where you can get kind of more you put space into your movie and you need kind of room on the screen to show you space show you size and ad astra did that not only does it give you the brad pitt I'm going to be subtle on everything that comes at me. I'm going to kind of internalize and not give you a lot versus kind of his Tyler Durden character where everything is brought out uh, onto his face. He's in fact, one of the plot dynamics of this movie is that he has to keep his heart rate down. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Which, as you know, is not kind of the first movie that has done yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But if it's you go a, to space, you have to be able to, like, control yourself, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the movie a lot. I'd be really interested to see what you had to say about it, and maybe we can kind of address it on another episode. Sure. But the back nine of my double feature, my walk walk out of the theater, turn right around, and buy it at the box office was I went to see The Joker. Yep. which is going to be the subject of our deep dive this episode. So just a, just a blanket, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it every episode. Blanket spoiler warning. We're going to spoil everything from <laughs> Greek tragedies to what happened on Hollywood wives of whatever reality TV show you've seen. Everything is going to get spoiled like a granddad who's spoiling his grandchild. If you don't want to get spoiled by the Joker, please go see the movie and then come back and, and listen and to then, the episode. Yeah, hear, hear what we have to say. Exactly. You ready to get it done, Sean? Yeah, let's do it. Chapter one. Taking them to Clown Town. Sean, this, this movie has a clown in it. You, it you does. got it, right? Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does have a clown. Uh, which is something that you don't see in films unless you go see a movie once a week these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and having a clown in this movie or having a character that has makeup on and is is being an kind of an outsized personality of themselves makes you believe that there might be some mystical stuff going on. That's not the case for the Joker. Yeah, but no. his <laughs> historically we've given clowns kind of that power in our psyche we've we've let them be tropes in horror have you so i you went to go see chapter two you went to go see it right oh i saw it so what you're a, you're a big horror fan you're in the horror genre even as a director what do you think about how clowns are portrayed not only in horror but in film I mean, you know, growing up as a child, I myself had a, a 
little bit of a fear of clowns and stuff like that. If and, you're not uh, a psycho, you're afraid of clowns. Exactly. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> exactly you know what I mean? Right. And so I, I think it's fascinating uh, that Hollywood and even like independent films now are really like touching in on that, on, on people's fear of clowns. The, the, the Man Who Smiled was this film like way back in the day. And uh, that's kind of where it all began. But, you know, you've got the Pennywise from Tim Curry and the TV miniseries. You've got, obviously, the new It, Chapter 1 and 2. Killer uh, Clowns from Space. I remember yeah, that movie. Yeah, Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> uh, and then there's, like, independent films. Like, there's literally a movie called Clown. That's where Hollywood is aiming its... Ho- oh, and then, uh, sorry, and then there's also... Twisty the Clown, an American Horror Story. To some degree, like I, I think that some of them are very well done. Some of them are very creepy. But I, I think that at this point, it's getting overdone a little bit. I mean, I, I no longer am afraid of clowns because I've seen so many of them. Well, that the idea that we would dress somebody up in makeup and in and, and put a smile on their a permanent smile on their face right and and have them entertain us to represent happiness never sat really well with me that representation of like hey this is what joy looks like this is what celebration looks like always has that undercurrent of like are we forcing this are we is this a representation of our fear of never having joy of never being happy I don't know when that clicked in as a as a child, but it clicked in really early. I was I yeah. was like, what you know? There he's just in makeup dancing in front of me. That I, right. made me feel sad for the person, and you know the sad clown uh, archetype has been. But specifically, this is the Joker. This is about yeah. Arthur Fleck. What is your experience with the Joker as a character in film? I think everybody starts out, or at least I should say, it starts out for me with Jack Nicholson. Same. Yeah. I, you know, and I've, I've obviously gone back and watched the Cesar Romero, but Nick, Jack Nicholson and Tim Burton's Batman uh, is definitely where I started. I've always been very fond of Nicholson and the way that he portrayed him. I, I like that Nicholson is essentially like, he's, he's got moments of insanity in the film, but ultimately he's just like a criminal that gets, scarred by an acid bath and sort of becomes the joker but i think that jack nicholson really he makes that character a lot of fun he's unpredictable but not unpredictable in the sense of say arthur fleck in the in the new joker movie so but yeah jack nicholson's where i got started when he the first image that I, that pops into my head is when he's unwrapping himself in that chair and you yeah. see him like looking to the mirror, he breaks the mirror on the side of the chair. You see this criminal, as you say, Sean, right? Kind of allow himself to to creep into the criminally insane. Yeah. Um, that this dismemberment pushes him in. Unlike other representations that we've had in Heath Ledger um, right. and in this Joaquin Phoenix character, that the mental illness was there all the time. That right. the the actual scarring is kind of either not there at all or a side note to his mental illness. 
which right. is interesting because it's a chicken or the egg type of situation is did the criminal become insane because of this uh, moment that happens to him this inciting incident or was the insanity always there and there's an inciting incident that happens that allows him to bring it out onto the service which makes the joker character and the versions that we've seen of the joker have always been really interesting no matter if it's a good or bad portrayal for most of our generation and maybe for the earlier millennial generation i think heath ledger is is joker obviously heath ledger lost his life possibly in connection with the role but i want to talk less about that and more about how he portrayed joke um are you a dark knight fan did you enjoy the trilogy where are you at with christopher nolan's joker i i was a big fan of the dark i'm, I'm a fan of the trilogy i i tend to lean towards the dark knight and the dark knight rises uh, I, I like the second two a little better than Batman Begins, personally. I think that Heath Ledger really, like, he brought such an interesting layered element to the character because you, you know, every time he he has the scars that are his smile, his smile isn't painted on his, it's a scarred smile, and he always asks, you know, do you want to know how I got these scars? And every answer that he gives or every story that he tells, it's different for who he's telling it to. And so there's this layer of mystery there where it's just like, who is this guy? And it's unpredictable. And yeah. Very, you're... very unpredictable. But I, I think what is fascinating about his Joker is that like, he's insane, but he's also kind of a genius. There's a gangster element in the Heath Ledger joker that is not in the walking phoenix joker you mentioned Absolutely. the yeah you mentioned the changing of stories and he kind of changes the his origin story to fit the person that he's talking to so right. when he's talking to rachel at the dance party he wants to scare her when he's right. talking to the the gangster he wants to intimidate it's a it's a, it's a very nuanced role and Instead of instead of making up origin stories in Joker for 2019, Joaquin Phoenix is actually showing you his origin story. So there's no, although there was there's a little confusion about what is actually happening to him, what he is experiencing, what we're seeing through the his first person um, narrative is what should happen to the Joker. So so let's get a little into a little bit about Joaquin Phoenix. What do you think of him as an actor? What did you think of his performance as the Joker? I think Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best working actors of this generation. I, I think that, I don't know that I've seen him give a bad performance. I think that every performance he's in, even, you know, going back to some of his earlier stuff and like U-Turn and To Die For, like he, he brings his A-game in everything that I've seen him in. When I heard that he was going to be the Joker, I never doubted that. I, I, you know, I'll say this: when I when I heard that they were doing it, I wasn't terribly interested. I was kind of like, I don't need a Joker film. I, I can assure you that, like, he will most doubtedly bring something to that role that will be worth seeing. So I was not let down. I, I think that his portrayal of Arthur Fleck. It's heartbreaking, really. I mean, it's tr he's a wannabe stand-up comedian who's not funny. He lives with his mother who is uh, invalid. She's, you know, just kind of lays in bed. She's sick. 
you don't quite know what's up with her, but you know, he, he's living with her, taking care of her, not succeeding at being a stand-up comedian. And he is a sign spinning clown. And from the get go, there is this hint of mental illness, which is sort of what this Joker is really sort of focused on. Oh, it's more than a hint, my friend. He's got a card. He'll give you a oh, card. That's, to that's tell right. You. He's got yeah. a laughing. He's got a, a brain disorder that causes him to laugh uncontrollably. So, did you see? And one day we should really do um, a Walking Phoenix kind of overview of his career. But I assume oh. you've seen the Paul Thomas Anderson, The Master. Oh, of course. I think I saw it three times in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it too many times. Uh, yeah. Freddie Quell is his character there. And yeah. it's to me, it's a hard movie to watch. Not, oh, unlike, not unlike the Joker. But uh, Joaquin there gives this kind of really physical performance where it's like he starved himself and then swelled all of his muscles so that his yeah. muscles are like bursting out of his skin, but he's not like there. It's not a strong sinewy kind of muscle. It's, it's like a muscle that, that may be broken or dislodged or something. Yes, absolutely. Arthur Fleck reminded me a lot of his Freddie Quill. They could be relatives of some sort. <laughs> oh man, like a crossover movie? Maybe yeah. that's that's the uh, Justice League crossover we need. <laughs> you know? Oh god. <laughs> I see a lot of Joaquin Phoenix in Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Sure. A lot of people um, accuse Brad Pitt of this, where Brad Pitt is kind of playing different versions of Brad Pitt. I've never believed that to be true. I kind of believe it with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, okay. A while ago, he did this weird mockumentary thing. I'm still here. Did you see that? The uh -huh. Casey Affleck directed one. Oh, yeah. I, where I he <laughs> plays himself, but it's a fictional version of himself. Maybe does a bunch of interviews where he maybe is like playing a character. And he did this kind of on the Jimmy Kimmel Live show where Jimmy's kind of telling joke and Joaquin Phoenix isn't laughing, kind of making it awkward. The the whole premise of that was that he, it was supposed to be a a documentary where he said that he was going to give up acting to pursue a career as a rapper. But it's Casey Affleck following him around with a camera, and he actually like goes and performs rap concerts, and it's just sort of this like descent into a sadness to like see him go into this but the whole thing was a joke yeah, yeah. And, and it was super hilarious when annie kaufman did it 50 years ago, it, it, exactly know? right yeah it was definitely joaquin phoenix doing an annie kaufman i can treat other people however i want to because i'm acting and i'm right. not sure if that's what i want in my actors but i thought yeah. that joaquin phoenix did a really good job in the joker in, in giving us kind of that performance where it's awkward to be around him. So yeah. he's on, on the edge of kind of becoming the Joker. And right. then I thought maybe the performance wasn't as good when he fully becomes the character that he is turning into as the movie goes forward. When he becomes the full Joker. I'm not sure I was sold on the performance after that. Sure. Chapter two. You ever hear the one about the taxi driver? Yeah, yeah. I put my hand on a stove to see if I still believe. Yeah. And nothing hurts anymore. I feel kind of free. 
Sean, did, were you were you weighed down by the influences that you saw in this movie? You know, so I I'd heard sort of going into it that it felt sort of like a, a Scorsese-esque movie, specifically Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. So I sort of had that in mind when I went in to see it. And there the the nods, sort of the the influences are definitely there. You could almost say that it is a photocopy of the King of Comedy. <laughs> I mean it's it's almost that movie, but it's with Walking Phoenix with a you know a dash of paint thrown on his face. So yeah, like the, the Scorsese references are definitely there. And I, and I hate to even say this, it's been a little bit since I've seen Taxi Driver. It's actually been one that I've, I've seen it before, but it's one that I've been meaning to sort of revisit, and especially now. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Owned, I owned Taxi Driver on DVD before there was a streaming Netflix-style yeah. service. Right. So I've seen Taxi Driver a bunch, of, a bunch of times just because, like we were talking about before, you have the CD, you listen to the CD a million times because you got it. Right. And I saw... I'm uh, terrified by the world around me. I think that society is going to hell. And because of that, I have to take action. If that is what connects this to Taxi Driver, and there there are multiple scenes, especially... Uh, when he is riding the train or riding inside of a car, that mm-hmm. you can see the reflection of Scorsese on them. Yeah, but if if no, if the if the dialogue around this movie wasn't, it's a taxi driver influenced movie. You see that you see Scorsese everywhere. If you you know, I see Scorsese in like Peaky Blinders and stuff like that. It's I, I certainly there's a bunch of influences in this movie. It's obviously from IP, so it's from it's an influenced movie. Period. But I wasn't weighed down by it. I thought that it is an original piece. I think it is very of the time. You know. Oh yeah, of course. It, it, yeah, it's the inf- it's, it's it's influences are there, but it, it absolutely stands on its own two uh, clown shoes. But there's no Batman in this movie, Sean. There, there is a. I, excuse me, I'm sorry. There's Bruce Wayne in this movie. Yeah. Um, looking like what do you think, eight, nine, something like that. Yeah, around that age. Which that I'll be honest, that's probably the one thing that didn't quite work for me. Or it's it's one of the things that didn't work. That was probably the biggest thing that for me didn't quite work was little boy Bruce Wayne. I kind of agree with you, especially because we've seen his parents get murdered more than anyone's parents in the history of parent murder yeah. in an alley. You know, with <laughs> though they're very true to the pearls getting ripped off when they die. But what I thought they did really well with the Wayne experience was the Thomas Wayne character. Yes, absolutely. Traditionally, we've gotten Bruce's image of his father as a a person who wanted to clean up the city, a person who had true intentions. And in this movie, we get Arthur Fleck's uh, version of Thomas Wayne, person who is the the leader of a company who makes a lot of money off of this city that is dying and who was the boss of his mother i I got the impression that she had worked there 30 years ago that's right yeah that's right i wasn't sure what quite they didn't they don't quite tell you what happened other than she no longer works there yeah and her memory of it her experience of it is altered by the fact that she also has possibly some mental illness they live together in an apartment and it gives you this kind of psycho vibes where he is very connected to his mother he's bathing her 
And she tells him of this great man, this Thomas Wayne, and always is having him check the mail to see if Thomas Wayne has responded to her letters. Mm -hmm. And then you find out what's in the letter. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think that they did a great job with the Thomas Wayne character. And as you said, like when you watch the the Batman perspective, he is sort of portrayed as this this great guy that wants to clean up the streets of Gotham and stuff like that. And here he is uh, a wealthy businessman who is also a politician who wants to clean up the streets of Gotham. But when we're looking at him through Arthur's lens, he is not a very kind man. At one point, he even refers to the lower class just as clowns, which, you know, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, and has echoes in uh, Hillary Clinton calling people deplorables. And, you know, these people who think that they're, they have true intentions and they think they're trying to make the country good. And when you reflect that on other people, your values on other people, it can, it can have the opposite effect. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, Arthur, as you said, she's, she's written him numerous letters over the years, has never gotten anything back. And then Arthur opens up the letter or one of the letters to discover that she has said that he is Thomas Wayne's son. Arthur, who at, up to this point in his life has just been a bastard child, has just figured out that he is the son of this wealthy uh, businessman politician. He believes his mother that he, they yeah, had an he, affair. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. He 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 buys into what she's saying. Correct. Which makes him go to the mansion, the Wayne Mansion, and he has this just creepy interaction with eight or nine year old Bruce Wayne, where he's reaching through the bars, touching him, doing a little magic trick, and possibly interacting with who he thinks is his brother. That's when Alfred comes in and kind of puts a kibosh on it, says that your mom was crazy, that there was never an affair. That takes him to Arkham Asylum again. Yeah. The reason that I'm describing it is because pulls her file and he finds out that he was adopted, that this was all made up and that his mother is crazy too, locked him up in an apartment with an abusive uh, father figure she was abused too, but maybe that this was the catalyst for his mental illness, for his tics, for the fact that he laughs when he's nervous or laughs when he's in a stress-filled situation. It was very interesting to see this person that in comic lore has been held up as such a, a virtue of truth be brought down in this way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I found fascinating about the film and about uh Joaquin Phoenix's performance was how much I empathized with Arthur Fleck I mean he obviously he's obviously very mentally unstable uh and obviously goes on to do some some pretty terrible things in the film you can't help but kind of root for him I mean I felt you know you feel bad and so the whole time I'm watching it you're you're kind of or I was kind of like I want to see him get better. I want to see, you know, I want to see his life like turn around and pick up, even though you are very aware of like what the end result is going to be. You know, he's going to become the Joker. He's not going to, you know, get better from his mental illness and, and meet a nice girl. 
and and have a good life, he's going to become the Joker. And the movie dares you to have sympathy for this character. Yes. And some people see that as, are we imparting, you know, are we forgiving him for his crimes? You can't have a movie where there's a protagonist where you don't see life from his point of view. Um, and, and it dares you to. And then you'll have a scene where he shoots somebody directly in the face, an innocent person directly in the face. Or like what happens with his mother, he, he smothers his mother's life out of her body. And I, I want to make this one final point on this this chapter is that, and I, I've heard some other and read some other reviews where I think they missed this. After he does that, he's putting his makeup on in the mirror and he sees this picture of his mother. And on the back of the picture, it says, thanks for all the good times, T.W. Yeah. So there was obviously something there. Whether or not he is Batman's brother the fact that both can be true, that there are no heroes, and it may be why this movie is effective and in places ineffective, is that there's no hope here. The person that you're rooting for, the protagonist, is the person who is bringing doom, is the person who yeah. is going to you know, force Gotham to become the place that creates Batman. I, I believed the mother from the get-go, even before Arthur smothers her with a pillow i believed her <laughs> chapter three the devil's dance card this movie does something that is that isn't an original idea but I love the way that they incorporated it, which is taking a mental illness and having that be the kernel that starts the superpower. So, you know, if someone is autistic, maybe they can solve crimes or, you know, when it's done in a, if someone's blind, they have some other heightened sense that works. The way that they use mental illness as the start of the supervillain in the Joker is his cackle. The yes. trade, the trademark laugh of the Joker of Arthur Fleck, and in the movie, it's a nervous tick. I don't know how to handle this situation right now, so I'm going to laugh uncontrollably. Right, and you can see Joaquin Phoenix as he's cackling do the thing that you know the the laugh turn into the cry. I can see it in your eyes that you're not doing this because you think it's funny, but because you have to. Maybe the best part of his performance is the cackle. Or he'll laugh when he thinks that he should laugh. You see this when he's watching the stand-up or when he's watching the the Tonight Show style thing that Robert De Niro's in where he watches the audience laugh and he's like, oh, you should laugh there. Yeah, you see the when he's at the stand-up club, he obviously he laughs a little bit later than the rest of the audience or he'll he'll laugh when there's no punchline being given and it's a very awkward moment because you know the comedian will be on stage he tells the joke the audience laughs and then he'll like start into his next joke and then Arthur like does this weird like crow's cackle you know while while the rest of the room is silent and it's very uncomfortable do you think you can do it you think you got an impression in you let me see <laughs> that's pretty that's good that's, that's it's that's way better than I could have done. Yeah, I was gonna say for for off the cuff, you know, 
Because I yeah. can hear I can hear Phoenix doing it in my head. I think I probably sounded more like a dying seagull, but uh, you know. <laughs> but I think Joaquin Phoenix did a, did a great creepy cackle. <laughs> yeah, and it's those moments after the cackle that meant so much to me. The mm. nervous looking around to see how people react to it. How in the middle of it, because he can't control himself, he has to hand this card to people and say, hey, this is an illness. Um, please forgive me for the the laughing uh, in inappropriate moments. As someone who, you know, I, I have a little bit of cerebral palsy. And when that comes out in social interactions, especially when I was younger, you look at the people to see how they're going to react to your physical disability or whatever. And you, because you do that, you put yourself in yourself instead of being a part of the conversation or interacting with people freely. They got that right. And because they got that right, I'm okay with it leading to him being a supervillain. Sure. Um, I've seen people, especially I have a, a friend who's an alcoholic and the portrayal of alcoholism in movies and TV shows, what he'll tell you is that everybody in the TV show celebrates you for getting sober the first time, but what they never portray in any manner is the forgiveness you have to have when they when they mess up a second or a third time. Right. Um, yeah, so just just showing people struggling through life, I thought they did that right. Then... Because he doesn't get the right reaction, because he doesn't get the forgiveness of the world and of the society that he thinks that he should, the love that he thinks that he should, even from Thomas Wayne, he starts murdering people, Sean. (laughs) In the most gruesome ways. And I know that you're a fan of Grindhouse, that you're a fan of bloody movies, but this was so intense for me. This was shocking like to the core of me. And I wondered if you had that same reaction being someone who kind of sees blood and gore all the time. Definitely. It's a different type of violence. You know, if you watch like an old grindhouse horror movie or crime movie or something like that, it's very over the top. You know, it's someone gets shot and you see like blood spray out for a few seconds and stuff like that. It's very over the top, not necessarily cartoonish but just it's over the top and here it's very realistic the first person or persons that he kills are when he's on the train he's sitting there he's you know just had obviously a a terrible incident and he looks over and you see these three wall street type guys that that work for thomas wayne yeah Yeah, just drunk douchebags right and they are basically harassing a woman on the train And so then they start harassing him and he tries to tell them like, Hey, this is a condition, but before he can, they just start beating him up. But one of his coworkers had given him a gun earlier in the film and he pulls it out and kills all three of them. And it, it turns dark. He kills the first two. It almost like a self-defense. Mind you, he shoots them like between the eyes but the the third one, he shoots, and the guy is getting away, and he actually follows him and shoots him again, and that's when it's that's when it becomes much more cold blooded. That's intense. That's pretty hard. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the closest I think that it gets to Taxi Driver is that the the violence. There's no there's no comedy in the violence. There's no pulp. There's no. This is are people getting shot. And you see them die, and and then there's a body. 
it was so jarring and especially in when you have experiences like Colorado that happened when the Dark Knight came out and then yeah. you see him knowing all that he knows or that he thinks he knows about Thomas Wayne he walks into a movie theater and you're yeah. sitting you're sitting in a movie theater the experience of sitting in the movie theater and you watch him walk into a movie theater and you can't help but contextualize it in your life like we live in a world where there's gun violence all the time and you know sitting beside people i was alone at the time and i was sitting beside two couples and i was just like man i'm a good guy i just wanted to stand up and be like bro i'm a good guy i would never shoot anybody i don't like gun violence it gave me that feeling and i wondered if if it was just me experiencing that or if you thought that in your experience i so to a degree, I actually had like I had a mostly good experience watching the film, and, and definitely this idea of gun violence. I was in, when I was in the theater watching it. There were people in the audience who were like laughing and cheering when he is brutally shooting people, and I thought I thought to myself, I don't know that I want to be in the same theater as some of these people because people that are like laughing and cheering this on like that's that's a problem like that is you know you're not supposed you're you're rooting for arthur to get better and to have life not be so cruel to him you're not necessarily rooting for him to become a, a psychotic killer right and, and that that douchebags on a train they deserve comeuppance but that com- comeuppance is not death yeah that yeah. that the people that that you don't like the people not in your bubble the 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 people that you believe are bringing the society down do not deserve death. Right. Um, this isn't Django getting getting his revenge on slaveholders. And I think that, that Todd Phillips, specifically the scene in the cinema, he did that on purpose. He Oh you you absolutely. think that you are you think that you are seeing this movie as a non-participant, but you are in the crowd. You are, you know, you are part of the mob wearing uh, clown masks. I, I think that that's the only person that you can be in this movie, which is a weird, non-balanced movie that was good. I thought it was a good experience, but just right. something that made it different. Yes, totally. I completely agree. Chapter four, die a villain or live long enough to see yourself become a hero. <laughs> This must be where I lose it all, darling. Throw myself into wicked waters. So there's no Batman in this movie. There's no hero. There's no good guy coming to save us. Obviously, you get the, the beginnings, the turmoil that creates Batman later on. Mm-hmm. But I wonder... What do you think it says about movies, about stories, about the way that we make art now, that even the people that we we root for are not only conflicted, because we've had conflicted characters before that are easily digestible, but just that I don't know if you can point to someone in this movie and say, you know, I root for them. Possibly the the girlfriend that he imagines throughout the whole thing, which we haven't talked enough about. But she kind of even is nice to him in small ways, but is never never fleshes out her character besides, you know, the fake stuff that you see. Right. I actually 
I, I guess that was supposed to be sort of a, a twist in the film is that all of these interactions that they had that were very positive were just a figment of his imagination. I wish that they had done a little more with her in that regard because I, I actually really liked the scenes that they had. I mean, it was it was almost like that was like his sense of normalcy was that he sees this neighbor in his apartment. They meet on the elevator, kind of smile at each other, go their separate ways. And then like they have later scenes, like there's a scene where he just knocks on her door, she opens it and he goes in to kiss her. And it wasn't that big of a shock to me that this was a figment of his imagination. Yeah, but... because you, I don't care how much she likes him. When someone, if someone would walk into your door and start kissing you, that's you weird. Would react a different yeah. way, yeah, right, yeah. Like that's that's a weird, yeah. That was a weird moment where it, you know, because at that point in the film, it's like they had had maybe two interactions. Like they were friendly, but not friendly to the point where if that happened. It was normal. And that only happens in movies or in imagination where... Yeah, I was going to say, I've never... You know, if I have a crush on somebody, I don't go knocking on their door at 1 a.m. to... Just slap a, a smoocher on your neighbor? But, you know, it, it's interesting that we're talking about his... Sort of this figment of his imagination, because one of the things that they do early on in the film is that he and his mother uh, watch the... This, top, this nighttime comedy show with Robert De Niro, as you talked about before. And he has this dream where he's in the audience and Robert De Niro like calls him out and stand, he stands him up and uh, Phoenix sort of tells him who he is. He's like, oh, you know, I, I am here to bring happiness and joy to those. And I, you know, I live with my mother and I take care of her. And De Niro's character is very like, you know, you're a great human being. Come on down here. And like the audience is applauding him. And yeah, uh, not, not only do I see myself in you, but I also, you know, <laughs> I would be so proud to have you as a child. Yeah, you're you're like the son I never had. <laughs> and uh, and when you start when when he and De Niro's character have real interactions, it you know, it De Niro's just another kind of jerk to him. I mean, he he's not very kind. But Again, you know, Arthur just has, they're almost like childlike, it's almost like a childlike imagination. It's almost no, like... It, it, it makes total sense, and I don't know if it's childlike. I do think it's it's the lizard brain, where you want you want affection, you want approval. Everybody you meet is either a mommy or a daddy figure. Right. Yeah, which is why, if you wanted to, you could read Dadaism into it, you could read Nihilism into it, where when he feels free from the oppression of the people around him is when he gives up on that, when he's not trying to impress them, not trying to fit in, and instead of deciding to end his own life, he ends the lives of, the lives of people around him. Mm -hmm. And you could see, you could understand why people would, in a way relate to that and acknowledging that is hard to do because it's the joker chapter five the punchline on a traffic light green means go and yellow means yield but on a banana it's just the opposite green means hold on and yellow means go ahead and red means where did you get that banana do you think that this movie accomplished what it set out to do sean I think so. I think, uh, you know, it's got a very heavy commentary on 
wealthy versus poor and, and mental illness. And because Joaquin Phoenix is in almost every frame of this film and he is very mentally unstable, I think it is certainly an interesting look at mental illness and, and, and just not there's the joke of we live in a society, but this, this society of classes of how wealthy people have all of you know all of these things and and poor people don't i i thought that todd phillips did a really solid job of getting those points across while telling an entertaining story right and that evil men can play off the oppression of poor people and the have-nots in order to do evil things to make you believe they are the hero when really they're the villain that's going to keep you in the status that you are, which is why it's such a good 2019 type of movie. Can I get some Batman? Can I get a hero? I, I Look, <laughs> I understand that it's, it's, I guess it's become less interesting to watch people with good intentions do the right thing and do the wrong thing, but then see that it's wrong and try to correct it. This movie made me miss Bat Batman. And I don't think, you know, after three movies and the two leagues, Justice League movies, <laughs> and seeing Ben Affleck bend Batman his way around aliens and stuff like that, just made me want, like, made me want the actual Batman. Made me want the detective Batman, the guy who gets hurt, the the superhero without superpowers. Are we a world without Batmans? <laughs> And, and, and you, yeah, you you have to wonder because because of that. I mean, there there are certainly a lot of jokers in the world. Superhero movies in general, I, I've sort of uh, I've got a full belly of it. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the, I, I like the I like that Joker didn't feel like that. It felt like a, a '70s crime movie, which I I, I really appreciated. It's uh, you know kind of like oatmeal for breakfast. It stays with you throughout the day a little bit longer. And uh, it's one that I would, I think, warrant watching it again, maybe not on the big screen, but maybe when it comes out on Blu-ray or something like that, I, I would be up to, to checking it out again because of just how much I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it, considering how many superhero movies have been happening in, in recent years. I like it, and I like the um, advice that people should eat something a little hearty for breakfast that'll stay with them throughout the day. It's just good nutritional advice, you know? It, yeah, oh, totally, yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a filmmaker and a, and a health nut simultaneously, so yeah, you know, you, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You know what else I'm looking, for, looking forward to, Sean? What's that, Zach? The next episode of The Swift Shift. <laughs> Me too. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. You can find us on all the channels that you find your podcasts. If you want to follow us, you can follow me at the85pod. Uh, that's on Instagram and on Twitter. Sean, I know you haven't gotten your production company stuff up yet, but you want to shout out your personal stuff? Sure. So Instagram is still uh, Sean W. Swift. And it's S-H-A-U-N-W Swift. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is Sean Swift five. And right now my Twitter handle is Sean of the dead with a little pumpkin because it's Halloween and because my name is spelled like Sean of the dead. So I had a little fun with that. So Gross. follow me on Twitter. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing I could come up with. <laughs> so feel free to follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram. You can see 
me watching movies and my Instagram stories, which is always, I'm sure, exciting for those who do follow. <laughs> they are exciting. They're always exciting. <laughs> you know what, Sean? What? You don't listen, do you? I don't, th- I don't think you ever really listen to me. You just ask the same questions every podcast. How's your job? Are you reading any negative reviews? All I read are negative reviews, but you don't listen. <laughs>